I appreciate you being here, but most of all, I appreciate the Spirit of the Lord that is in this house. I, I apologize for crying. I really do. I'm, I'm sorry. But I, I just know that God can do more for us in five minutes if we open up our hearts to let Him do it than, than any of us can do in a lifetime. And so what I'm asking you today is... As just a friend coming alongside you, would you open up your heart and let the Lord come in and let Him do what only He can do today? If you're going to let that happen, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm going to let that happen today. I'm going to open up my heart. Whatever the Lord has for me, I know it's going to be good. Amen? Dr. Miller, would you come? Dr. Miller has helped me and Janet. She's just a wealth of information. And for those of you that didn't get to make yesterday, I'm telling you, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I hope that she can come back and just keep building on what we received yesterday. I love her. I honor her. I'm glad that she's here. I'm glad that my family is here. And would you give Dr. Cindy Miller a good, warm Louisiana welcome? How great is our God, and so good to be with all of you, this beautiful building, but oh, as beautiful as it is, the presence of the Lord is just so sweet and rich. I, I'm very happy to see all of you, and we, we bump into each other in the hallways, and we're reminded of how long we've known each other, and I'm just so thankful about that. But I want, I want to start by sharing a thought, a story with you, kind of just thinking about this. If I were to ask you what happened in 1909 that set a record, would anyone know what that was? A record was set in 1909. You know what it was? No, no, it's, it's like 1909. What happened that was significant then? In 1909, 364,500 new acoustic pianos were sold in America. <laughs> it was the peak year for piano sales. Now you have some new, something new for your trivia night. And since that year, the piano has steadily declined in sales. Reached its peak, steady decline. So I'm, I'm just asking, why do you think that is? In 1909, they, they couldn't make them fast enough. They were looking to start production assembly of pianos. But right after that, just... Well, there's a lot of reasons. We could talk about uh, the economy. We could talk about the... Coming out of the radio, that made entertainment something different. But you know what? Part of the reason that it started to decline is, the yes, the cost of a really good piano. It, the amount of room that it takes up in your house. They're heavy to move. Have you ever moved a piano? Like, you never want that experience again. Do you know how many movers it takes to move one piano? Anybody? You know, like a whole team. You can't do it by yourself. And there are maintenance costs 
You know, like you have to keep that. It doesn't, you don't just buy it and it lives in your house. No, you have to have people come and tune it and take care of it. You have to dust that thing. That's reason enough to get rid of it. But there's another reason. They started making a a cheaper replacement called the electric keyboard. And, and now instead of, instead of thousands of dollars, you could, buy this cheap version for a few hundred. Less maintenance. Don't have to dust it. You could just put it in a case. You could pack it up. One person could carry it. It was easy to transport. It still sounded good, had some little bells and whistles to it that you didn't get on that grand piano. So those sales begin to increase and you can just you can actually pull it up you can google that steady decline of the grand experience i remember an old upright piano that my parents bought for donna and i to practice on it was old really old an old upright it didn't look like much and it took up one whole wall in our little tiny living room but we wanted to be like the other girls in the church and learn how to play, so there it was. And it needed dusting, and it was a daily reminder of our lack of skill at the piano. I don't remember, Donna, what happened to that old piano. Like, for all the work that it took my poor dad to get that piano hauled to the house and in and set up, it just became a piece of furniture over in the corner, and one day it was gone, and nobody really missed the piano. And if we compare our walk with God to a piano, we can see some of the comparisons, right? This relationship with God is very expensive. It costs you everything, everything, all of you. And you know what? This walk with God is very inconvenient. (laughs) I'm not doing a really good sales job for it, am I? (laughs) This relationship with him demands constant attention. He, He doesn't want a little bit. He wants all of you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants your attention all the time. Now, it's easier, and people often do select the cheaper version, the less demanding option, a religion that requires no sacrifice. But have you ever watched a concert pianist? They don't walk out on stage to a little Casio $300 keyboard. No, no. They don't borrow something from the children's church program. No, when a A pianist comes out, a concert pianist, they want a grand piano. They want that six-figure, costly Steinway sitting there. They want an expert to have come and provided maintenance on it before they ever get to it. They demand the very best. Nothing else will do. And we need to feel that way about our relationship with God. I don't want some cheap, 
experience. I don't want the, the experience that really doesn't cost me anything and require anything. I don't want no cheap imitation, easy to store, stay out of the way model of experience with God. I want the grand experience with God. I want everything that God is promising to his people. Yes, he wants all of my life. Yes, he wants to take up the biggest part of my heart. Yes, he wants a relationship with me that is so costly in so many ways. But you see, the cheap version is religion, and the grand experience is relationship. And my friends, there is a huge difference in what we're offering you today. In our marriage enrichment class last night, which I had so much fun being with you, but we, re we reviewed a few basic facts about relationships. Here's the bottom line. Any solid, loving, powerful relationship, if you're going to go the distance, it's going to cost you something. We talked about how relationships reveal how selfish we really are. I thought I was a pretty wonderful person until I got married. I didn't even know I had a temper until I got married. I thought I was easygoing. I, I was just like easy to be with, easy to get along with. And then I married Stan. I found out things about myself I never knew. Like I do have a temper. And when he acts up, when he hurts my feelings, because, you know, that happens in relationships. I found out that when I got married, I wasn't as loving as I thought I was. I wasn't as unselfish and giving and generous as I thought I was. I found out that, that I was giving to get. I was loving to be loved. Every part of what I was doing was set up to benefit me. It's a, such a shock, isn't it? You know, but that's okay because Stan was doing the same thing. You know, we're, we're, we were both unhealthy and trying to grow in grace and with each other and God. But relationships are costly. And that's not just about your relationship with another human being. That's your relationship with God. When, when He uses these earthly relationships to reveal to you how you do relationships. Like, okay, so you're not one person with God and one person over here. However you act with the closest relationship in your life is how you act with God. So when you're looking at how you interact with other people, God is saying, yeah, yeah, that's what you do with me too. So if you're a massive powder, which, you know, we pout, that's emotional manipulation to get our way, to punish those who are not behaving the way they should. It, yeah, it's, that's powerful, isn't it? So if you're a powder with people, you, you pout with God. He doesn't give you what you want, so you're not going to talk to him. Like, that's going to knock him off his throne. He's going to just be so broken that whatever you want, just please speak to me again. No, he's much healthier than that. He's, he's not manipulated by your pouting. Now, if, if you are prone to temper, like I told you, I didn't even know I had one until I got married. I, I didn't think I did. 
But you know, temper tantrums are not a communication skill. They're not. You know, I can remember one day I was really upset about something. All of you are going to be so worried about me teaching marriage retreats and enrichment after this. I've grown a lot in the years. But I, I remember standing, uh, of course, you know, he had done something. And I can remember, I can remember him coming in just la, la, la. He's all happy after what he had done. And bless his heart, he didn't even know. Like, that's sad. Like, you, you act up and you don't even know. You have offended the closest person to you and you don't even know. Well, he came in and, and he was like, Hey, how's your day? But you see, I use this method. Fine. Because instead of just saying, well, it would have been better if we hadn't had that little hurtful interaction this morning, I wanted, I wanted him to guess at how bad he had been, <laughs> which rarely works. And so he was like, great. Like, he's not reading the temperature in the room at all. Great. And uh, I'm waiting, like, great. Obviously, it's like below freezing in here, and I'm not talking about the weather outside, you know. And so then I, I was cooking dinner, and so then I decided we needed to up the game, right? Because he's not getting it. He's a little slow. And so I start cooking with a lot of passion and energy. You know, anybody ever had to cook like that? I mean, I never beat that pan of soup so much as that poor pan took that beating. And I didn't close drawers. I slammed them. And, and I mean, the most immature, but I was really young, immaturity going on all through me. And finally, Precious comes in and he goes, it, is something wrong? Well, Thank you for asking. But you know what? You know what I had to learn? I do that with God. Because you can't do relationships any other way. You only do them the one way you know how. And so when God began to say, you know what? You don't like that, but let me express to you. That's what you do to me. I have a little temper tantrum with the Lord when he wouldn't give me my way. Or I would pout, and he was never so impressed with it or distraught by it that he needed to indulge me. He just called me back to maturity, that biblical view. And I have discovered, Pastor, I do not have enough goodness in me to love God by myself. I, I I want to think this is kind of an equal relationship where he loves me and I come to him and I love him and, and he's thankful for me and I'm thankful for him. But the truth of the matter is I can't even start loving him until he empowers me to love him. I can't even have enough goodness. Do we have a lot of good people in the room today? I think this place is loaded with good people. I guess this isn't a trick question, okay? Like, we're good people, right? We're coming to church. We're trying to love God. We're, we're fixing people's doors. Uh, 
24090 West Main Street, Columbus, New Jersey, needs, a, needs some help. Uh, we're doing good things. We're teaching children. We're bringing up people to love God as best we can. But the bottom line is it's not that way. It's not I love him and he loves me. He loves me. And because he loves me, he enables me to love him. I can be good all by myself. Many people are good people, but it takes God to be godly, doesn't it? I need the Lord. I can't love according to the biblical view without the one who is love. See, we approach church through the lens of the world's view of love. So when we come in, we are in that I give to get mode. I love you, Lord, as long as your love includes a lot of benefits. But that is the world's view of love. And now we're invited in to look at how God views love. He is love living in me. Love has to live in you in order for you to be able to love. For me to love Stan the way he deserves to be loved through the biblical view, I need God in me. I need love abiding in me. Not because he's difficult, but because I'm human. My verse for 2024 that the Lord just highlighted to me at the beginning of the year that I'm just trying to build my foundation on this year is found in Romans 15 and 13. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound or overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or as the message says, the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we normally focus on, or what I like to focus on, is that hope, joy, peace, abound, overflow, abundance of hope, joy, peace. Yes, Lord, 2024, let it be, Lord, let it be. Now, I want, but I want to take a little moment here and say this, joy and peace should be understood as a state of being that results in or provides pleasant emotions in spite of your circumstances or situations you find yourself in, okay? Joy and peace is not to be considered, I have joy, so I'm extra, extra happy. Joy is first a state of being that provides in spite of whatever. Great day, joy and peace. Bad day, Joy and peace. I am the same. I am steady. I'm not moved by it. A state, uh, peace is not a state of bliss where you have no worries. That's heaven. Joy and peace are both sustaining deep strengths that reside in both the emotional and mental domains of a human being. I know that doesn't feel spiritual, but you need to know that. Those are domains, both emotional and mental, and joy and peace can be in there, in those both domains. However, as important as it is, and God wants you to have joy, and he wants you to have peace, and he wants you to overflow, and he wants you to have abundance, what we need to focus on here is it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not anything. There's not enough willpower in the world to will joy and peace. There's not enough self-help books you could read to impart joy and peace into your life. There's ways and means and things you can do, but at the end of the day, it is the abiding of the Spirit of God in us that is the empowerment that then creates that strength in you of joy and peace. It's not anything you can bring into your own self. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus first mentioned a helper that would come in John 14, 16. A helper who would abide with us forever. The spirit of truth. The spirit that dwells with you, he's telling He's telling his followers. But you know what? Now it's with you, but it's going to be in you. You're not going to be alone. What's with you will then be in you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said. Spirit of truth, a helper dwelling in you, a teacher. In one of Jesus' last conversations with his beloved disciples in Acts 1-5, says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So now, spirit of truth, helper, dwelling in you, teaching, empowering you. The Apostle Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And we heard that's happening today. They're taking taking uh, God up on his offer here. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Romans 8.11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Who or what is this Holy Spirit? True speaker, helper, teacher, empowering, life-giving, living in you upon obedience to the commandments? 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? In you, whom you've received from God? You know, we just, we just got finished with Christmas. In the month of December, we're all focused on the beginning of our salvation story. The birth of Jesus. The very beginning. And yet, this is a story of salvation, of God's intervention. This is the beginning of the divine rescue of humanity. It is amazing to be loved by God. Creator of the heavens and the earth, almighty God, that he He loves us. We could be anywhere today. We could be in any circumstance today. I'm amazed that God loves me. Because I have failed him so many times. I have disappointed him so many times. I've let him down so many times. But he never stopped loving me. It's amazing that he forgives our sins. Because how many of you, you you can raise your hand or not, but I'll tell you, my hand's up. How many of you have ever struggled to forgive somebody that hurt you? Oh, man. 
God, don't you see how horrible that was? And I just argue with him about forgiving. Well, I forget the grace that he extended to me over and over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) Sometimes we struggle with one big offense and they're serious and they hurt, but we struggle to forgive. But you know what's really hard to forgive is that person who lets you down over and over and over and over and over. It's easier to forgive a big offense than a daily disappointment and a letdown. We struggle with forgiveness, but he so generously forgives. And we're saved by grace and by grace alone. That's it. Not how cute you are, not how sweet you are, not how much money's in your bank account, not how helpful you are. Nothing I give to him has warranted this wonderful relationship that he's extended to me. Yet, if you're like the rest of us, most days we live as if we have to work our way into God's favor. We have to earn a spot in his presence. But I'm going to tell you, this biblical story is a story of divine intervention of divine substitution, of divine sacrifice, of divine grace. It's opposite world kind of thinking. You're not going to figure it out in your carnal mind. It doesn't make any sense in in your carnal thinking. You have to get into a spiritual mindset to even receive it and accept that this is for you. Jesus Christ died for you. That's amazing. He died for me. He died for you. That's amazing to me. With my niece Diana, you know, she needed she needed a, a liver and a kidney, right? Multiple times. You you could get a you you know you, they don't store those in a refrigerator, by the way. And and for her to get a liver, somebody had to die. So while we were rejoicing on one hand, there was a family grieving on the other hand. But you know what? This isn't like the natural. This, is, this isn't like what happens on earth. The birth of Jesus, the life of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection are stories of incredible love and mercy and grace. But as amazing as the grace of forgiveness is, and it is, there is more. There is so much more. God knew the dilemma of sin was such a deep, personal, moral disaster that it would not be enough just to forgive us. If it ended with forgiveness, we wouldn't be saved. We would go back out and redo all the sins all over again. We would just keep sinning because we struggle. We are our own worst enemy. He knew we needed more than forgiveness, not minimizing forgiveness, but he knew we needed so much more. He knew after he forgave us that we would need daily help. He knew we would need to be rescued. He knew that we needed strength and wisdom. He knew we needed deliverance on a regular basis. 
So he didn't just forgive me. He didn't just forgive you. He didn't just clean us up. He came to us and he said, make room. I'm going to dwell here. I'm going to become part of you. My spirit is going to be in you. You don't have to do this all by yourself. You're not going it alone. Paul said it so well. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That, my friend, is the grand experience. Christ living in me. I am not on my own. I am not having to produce this by myself. I am not alone in this. It is him in me. I am not enough to pull this off. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough brain power. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough want to. I don't have enough willpower. So he said, I know that you need to be rescued. So I'm going to come live in you because he is power. He is love. He is help. He is everything that you and I need. You need to think about this a lot more than you spend time on. Or maybe I think knowing this church and its philosophical underpinnings of faith, you spend a lot of time on it. But this understanding of by grace, we are made the temple of the most high God is so powerful. If you truly get the understanding of Christ in me, you're going to have hope. You, you don't have to pray for it. You don't have to keep asking for it. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I've got the secret power in here right now. I've, I've got the source. You're not looking for the resource anymore. You go straight to the source because it's abiding in you. By grace, he lives in us. By grace, his power is at our disposal. By grace, he fights on our behalf. Even when I don't have the good sense to put up a decent fight, he gets involved and he says, you know what, I'm fighting for you. By grace, he works on me. By grace, he works to complete what he has started in me. You think you're getting to the finish line because you're so good and smart? No, by grace, he said, I'm going to complete the work that I have begun in you. It's him doing the work. You have to let him. You have to be open. What did pastor say? Will you open your heart up? Will you say yes to him at work in you? Certainly you have to partner with him, but he's, he's carrying the load. He's doing the heavy lifting. It is by grace that he generates within us a desire to do what is right. Anybody here struggling with a desire to do what is right? All right, if you don't know if you struggle with that, here, here's your help. You're going off coffee and sugar. Starting right now. How long are you going to be able to make it? Right? Okay, we need the Lord, don't we? And if we need the Lord for coffee and sugar, my goodness, how much more do we need Him for everything else? By grace, He generates desire in us to do what is right. By grace, He reveals our secrets, not to the world to shame us, but He reveals the secrets in your own heart to you. You think you do a lot of things because that's just how it is. That's your personality or that's how you were brought up. You know what? There's two things at work in the core of our being. 
fears, and longings. And when fear is in charge of your life, you work very, very hard to protect yourself and prevent that bad thing from happening. When longing is allowed free reign, longing can then create a desire in you in all the healthy right directions. Sometimes a lot of what we do, even for the Lord, is fear-based behavior. I'm afraid I'm not enough. I'm afraid I'm never going to meet, meet the standard. I'm afraid that I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that fear-based behavior. And God sometimes has to reveal to us, you're not living in faith, you're living in fear. So he takes those secrets because this happened in your childhood or this happened early in your marriage or this happened in your ministry. You have this belief system of who you are not. I'm not this, I'm not that. I'm not. And he has to reveal your secret. Hey, you think that, but it's not true. So he doesn't reveal our secrets to shame us. He reveals our secrets to set us free. And he convicts our hearts when we need it. And I pray for that. Lord, if anything makes you unhappy, I want to hate it. I want, this is my daily prayer. Lord, I want to hate what you hate and I want to love what you love. I don't have a big list. I don't, I don't go through and say, I want to hate this and love this. I just say, Lord, if you hate it, I want to hate it. And if you love it, I want to love it and just download that in me. You are only able to choose what is right because he lives in you and he gives you the power to do so by his grace. He has taken up residence in us and that is the grand experience. I'm not going to be satisfied with a, a little plastic keyboard that goes ding, ding, ding. I want the full sound. I want, I want the majestic. I want, I want, I want it to take up all the space and I want it to be too heavy to get moved and I don't want anybody to be able to take it away. I want the inconvenience of it all. We come to church sometimes to meet with God instead of living with the awareness that I take him with me everywhere. He's not just here. It feels powerful in here because it's, it's the gathering of the believers and corporate worship. But you can have it in your car driving down the road. You can have it in your house. You can have it in, on the job. He's everywhere. He's with you. I'm challenging you. Stop accepting the cheap version when God wants to give you so much more. You don't have to live in survival mode. If you've been living, surviving instead of thriving, this is God's word to you today. There's a better way to live. He has already provided the sacrifice. He's done the hard work. He's done everything that he could do and he's offering it to you. But like pastor said, you have to I'm opening up to accept this. You got to believe he means what he says and he says what he means. It's not God's will that you barely make it week to week. That is not it. We should not pastor. The church should not be. I have to come here every Sunday and every altar call. I have to pray through and have people pray with me and lay hands on me yet once again. So I can make it till Wednesday when we do it all over again. 
That is not spiritual growth. I'm thankful that you understand struggles and weakness and that the altar is a place to be strengthened and the body of Christ is there to encourage you. Yes, I'm thankful for that. But that is not and should never be our mindset that that's what we have to do. You can arrive here empowered by the Holy Spirit, ready to share, ready to pray for others, ready to give out, ready to minister. If you're relying on good behavior and hard work to get you through, you've missed the point. Because I have let myself down so many times. I'm trying to be good. Lord, I'm the one behaving down here. It's not enough. That was never his plan. So my prayer for you, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing as you trust in him. That you may abound, that you may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to make it on my own. I want to live, move, think, dream, act, work, love, feel, abounding, overflowing through the power of the Holy Spirit, not of anything that I can do myself. Now, if you've never received the Holy Spirit, today is a good day because it's a gift to you. It's an act of obedience to you. And like any gift, you have to be willing to receive it. But if you have received his spirit and you find yourself, you're just living this on your own. Why don't we just take a few minutes and clean up the place where he's trying to reside? He's the grand experience. He wants to take up all the room in your heart. He wants to be the main focus of everything about your being. Allow his spirit a place to dwell. Those are your options for today. Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Are you living, moving, and being sustained in the presence of the Lord? Our musicians, if you want to come, we were singing a song earlier that I thought, oh my word, this is, this is it. This is what we're talking about here. And they were singing, your spirit lives within me. Your spirit lives within me. I walk in your peace. But a lot of us were singing, your spirit lives within me. I walk in your peace. But it wasn't our reality. It's not our reality. Your spirit came to me and took up residence, but I have not allowed your spirit to be front and center in my life. And I, I'm not, anybody here missing out on peace? Your spirit lives in me. I walk in your peace, the peace that passes all human understanding. We talk about, I walk in, the, in your joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength, not my, not my emotion, my strength. Sometimes you're seeking an emotional experience with God and he wants to give you a strengthening a strengthening with him. I walk in your joy. You could also be saying, I walk in your deep strength. 
not, not in giggles and laughter and flying high. I walk in your joy. I walk in your strength. But if that's not true to you today, listen, that's what altar's about. For you to say, you know what? I heard something said that I think God wants to talk to me about. Let's stand together. I don't know what your traditions are here, but I tell you, I think, I think we need to make room for him. I want you to give up that cheap version of religion, convenience, church going. And I want you to say, I want relationship. I want the big, big, part, biggest part of me to belong to you, God. I want the cost of living in relationship with you. If you want more, if you want the grand experience, you want to express this to the Lord, can you just join me at the front right now? And whatever we're going to do, let's do it right now. But let's reach out to the Lord, reaching out to Him. I want the grand experience. I want every benefit. I want joy. I want peace. I want strength. I want to walk in the Holy Spirit. I want to live with the mind of Christ. I am tired of trying to make it all by myself. I'm exhausted trying to be godly without God. I need what only He can provide for me right now. Let's reach out to Spirit lives within me. My victory, my victory.